hope that you enjoyed that medley of Isaiah's uh, or Israel's uh, music. Did I say Isaiah earlier? It's Israel Houghton. Um, we are in a series called Lies That We Tell Ourselves. And um, uh, rather than our normal question and engagement with you through um, posing a question and having you respond, which we do normally before our broadcast or before my message, I should say, what I'm going to do today is if you have a question at any point in time during my message, I'm going to invite you to submit that. Go ahead and text it. You can do that at 720-878-3323 or you can put it in the chat window and then we'll respond. Uh, that will be sent to me. I'll get that information and uh, I'll do my best to respond to you while I'm teaching live. How about that? That's what, how we'll handle this question, uh, question and answer time, okay, for today. Again, we're in a series called The Lies That We Tell Ourselves," And I wanna bring to you, just real quickly, these are the four messages. Last week we talked about you'll become like, in other words, the promise that you have to go outside of yourself. This is what, um, the uh, Satan, the serpent, promised Eve or told her, lied to her about, there's something missing. And God knows that. And so it was the lie of ego that you need to go outside of yourself. Today we're going to talk about the lie of determinism. With God's help next week, we'll talk about the lie of fear, which is how uh, our imagination, which God meant for good, can be used for evil. And we're constantly thinking and struggling with ideas that something bad is going to happen. And then in message number four, we're going to talk about the lie of there's got to be a reason. I've got to have a reason for this that's going on in my life. That's not true. And so we'll deal with that next week. But today we're going to deal with determinism. Once again, I'll put it on the screen for you. If you have a question at any point during my teaching, please text it to 720-878-8899, or you can put it in the chat window live on the website. Well, determinism. Let me give you a couple of reflections first as I'm talking about this subject today and these come from some input that I got last week as I was sitting and just fellowshipping with individuals and here's one of the things that I heard why are you teaching us things that the Bible doesn't say <laughs> I love that question you know um, while everything that the Bible or that scripture teaches us is truly recorded. Everything in the Bible isn't true. And the Bible isn't the only source of truth as well. There, truth exists in the universe. God is truth. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, all right? The Bible was recorded and written and gathered into what we know today as what we call the Word of God, which is an inappropriate thing to say about the Bible, uh, as most people think of it anyway. Um, this collection of 66 books, this library of books, um, well after, all right, the universe was created, well after Jesus uh, was on the earth and taught, 
And, and so to, to suggest that everything of value or everything that's true needs to come from the scripture, all right? Now, my personal position would be that nothing can be true if it's opposed to the truth spoken by Jesus Christ, the word of God. Uh, now, it might be truly recorded, it might be true in the universe, but it's, it's not a truth that I live my life by. When it comes to deception and even approaching a series like this, the lies that we tell ourselves, why, why would I spend time on a, a negative aspect of, um, of teaching? Why not just teach on the positive? Well, here's the reason, is because James, in his book, tells us that the worst kind of deception is self-deception. In other words, the lies that we tell ourselves. And when, when you and I are in self-deception, well then, you know, that's a, that's a serious issue. And we've got to deal with that. Um, because it's going to block the presence of God, not that God's withholding his presence, but it's going to keep us from God's best if I'm walking in a lie. And so oftentimes, and so many times, those lies that I'm walking in are lies that are within my own head coming against my identity, all right? My identity. You know, uh, one of the other things about teaching on a subject like determinism that I'm going to do today and, and teaching on maybe a negative aspect of things that the Bible teaches and things that, uh, that we consider precious value, of things of value, things that we believe, is that if I can blame a real devil for my problems, then I can also... Um, I, I, I can also take less responsibility for the things that are mine, the things that I should be taking responsibility for. And uh, give me a, qu a quick second once again. I think that an adjustment might have been made. Well, who would make it? <laughs> give me just a quick sec. Okay. I think that's back to more uh, normal of what you should be seeing. It, uh, there's something about evangelical Christianity in particular that blames the devil for so many things, an external evil for so many things. And I'm going to deal with evil today in, in the subject of determinism. But again, personally, I've got to look at the lies I tell myself and not always be blaming the devil for things in my life uh, so that I can deal responsibly with the decisions that I make. Our text today is taken from the book of Ephesians. I'd like for you to join me there and here's our first scripture. I have it on the screen for you and I'm going to read it as well. All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 and 12. In him we were also chosen as God's own having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything by his, the counsel of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be for the praise of his glory. Now what I want you to notice here is the words chosen, 
planned, predestined, all right? All of these tend to lend themselves to the theory and to the theology of determinism, all right? That God determines everything and so, you know, sit back and sit back and weather it, you know, especially if it's evil that God has determined or destruction or sickness or something like that. I mean, if God has predetermined everything and every event, not not much that you and I can do about it, all right? That's one of the scriptures that would be front and center in talking about this subject. Let's look now at John's gospel, and in John chapter 14, here's what Jesus said. If you really knew me or know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Look at this carefully. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Why? Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? even after I have been with you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In other words, Jesus is the exact representation of who God is, his character, his love, his being. Jesus was saying, Philip, if you've been watching me, if you've been hanging around me like you have, if you've been seeing how I act, how I love, how I reach, how I give, how I show empathy and love and care for individuals, then you've seen the Father. That's his, that's his will. That's him doing that. All right? Here's another passage. This is taken from Hebrews, and I want you to, we're just going to look at the first, or uh, excuse me, the third verse here in Hebrews, but I, I, I want you to see the wording here. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Not a copy not just somebody who points you to God, not just a good teacher. He is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, Again, this verse would be used by both people who believe in free will as well as determinism. My point in using it with you right now is to point out that when you look at Jesus, you're seeing the Father. You need, no go, you need go no further than Jesus in order to find out what God would do, how God would behave. Here's the mirror translation of that verse. Now, he is the crescendo of God's conversation with us and gives context and content to the authentic prophetic thought. Everything that God has in mind for mankind is voiced in him. Jesus is God's language. He is the radiant and flawless mirror and expression of the person of God. He makes the glorious intent of God visible 
and exhibits the character and every attribute of Elohim in human form. That's important, all right? Because many people blame God for a lot of different things, saying, well, God determined it, God willed it, all right? And yet Jesus, the writer of Hebrews, says that if, if you want to know if God would determine something or not, if, if you want to know whether or not God would cause something to happen or not, look at Jesus. Because Jesus is God's language. He is the radiant and flawless mirror expression of the person of God. He makes the glorious intent of God. See, that's what comes into sharp focus here as we go through now this message today on the subject of determinism and why I believe it's a lie to misappropriate determinism as a theology about how God acts and treats creation. Because Jesus is the visible character of God. He exhibits the character of God. You have only to look at Jesus. Branzan says it this way. God looks like Jesus. God has always looked like Jesus. We've not always known it, but now we do. God looks like Jesus. I'm going to drive a few stakes into the ground here as we start. I think it's important for you to know where I sit before where I stand, all right? These are some truths where I sit. I, I, I've girded my loins. I've, I've sat down. I've, I've thought about these things carefully. And as I think then about the various theologies regarding determinism and the different positions and I honor those who take a different position than I take and think differently about determinism than I than I think I still have to come to a decision for myself about where I sit so I want to give you a couple of those first of all the Bible is not the foundation of our faith now what do I mean by that I mean that the Bible, the 66 books put together in a leather binding and writings and poems and various uh, collections of the prophetic and history and so forth. All of that collection, that library of books came, to, came into being and, and was put together as, quote, the Bible well after the manifestation of God's purpose in the earth and more most importantly the manifestation of Jesus who is God who is the very expression the imprint of God on the universe and and so I would say it to you like this way though I do not believe that the Bible is the foundation of our faith an event is and that's Jesus Jesus the person and Jesus dying on a cross, the cruciform love of God being demonstrated, and then rising from the dead. That gospel message of Jesus and the cruciform love of God being given for you and I is the foundation of Christian faith. Secondly, 
Jesus is not the Bible, or excuse me, let, let me put it this way, that the Bible is not the Word of God. Jesus is. All right? Now, we generally speak of the Bible as being, you know, the Word. I, I need to read the Word, or we, we've told people, you need to get into the Word. But to lift the Bible to a status that should not be imposed upon it, to take this library of literature and lift it to a place where even God does not lift it, all right, and impose upon it such restrictive application to our lives, as, as many do, is in itself unholy. This is not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. All right? Jesus is the Word of God, and He alone holds that place. Now, why that distinction? Well, because Jesus becomes then the author and the interpretation of what I read in the Bible. Now, these are messages in and of themselves, whole messages, and so I'm not going to spend too much time on each one of them. I just want to make the statement. Next. Jesus alone is the exact representation of who God is and what God is like. Next, God would not do or will anything for our lives that's inconsistent with the revelation of Jesus and his love for people revealed in the Gospels. And finally, evil exists outside of God's nature and purposes. Evil is antithetical to God's holiness. Now at this point, let's deal with some of the positions, as we might call them, the different positions on determinism, because different individuals believe different things about d the subject of determinism. And I, I want to share a few of those with you because I, I think that it will help you in understanding why this subject is so very important and what it is that numerous other individuals do believe about this subject. So let's take first just the classical view of what determinism is. From all eternity all facts were settled. Those who believe in determinism believe that from all eternity all facts were settled. Secondly, all facts about history or the future was and is settled before the world was created. Now, that would be the classical view of determinism. Now, also, let me mention that uh, there's some of this I'm sure that you're going to, you're, maybe you're lifting your camera and trying to snap quick, take screen prints or shots of this because you're finding, you know, the information important or interesting, and let me save you some time. I'll send you my notes, all right? You let me know that you want them, and I will send it. Put it in the chat window, text us, whatever you need to do. Email me, and I will send you my notes. Now, next we have the view called Calvinism. This is a particular type of determinism. Calvinism, or the Reformed view, believes that God resolves everything 
by willing it. Again, it's called theological determinism. God has foreordained and predetermined what will happen in everything. Many of you have heard of Calvinism, and uh, maybe you weren't aware that that was uh, one of its primary tenets. In fact, that's the foundation of Calvinism. Once again, God resolves everything by willing it. All right. Now, here is another position on determinism. This is called Armenianism. Armenian, Armenianism. That is that God simply knows that everything is resolved, but it is already determined. So there are those who uh, believe that God knows all, and he knows that something has been resolved, all right? But he doesn't necessarily predetermine and decide all of it. He knows, but he knows that it's been resolved and already determined. All right, leaves leaves a little bit of room for free will. Now, the next position that I want to expose you to is one that I personally hold. It's called open theism. Open theism believes that possibilities are real. Secondly, that God, who is omniscient and all-knowing, knows that possibilities are real. And third, that when he created the world, he created it with possibilities and unresolved possibilities. This leaves some things open to free will and free choice. All right, That's very important to an understanding of the Bible. For me, that's very important to my foundation of how I relate to God, knowing God, understanding and reading the Bible, and then the truth that I take from the scriptures and live by. For me, that's essential. Now, you might say, well, that's not altogether different than what I've believed. Well, did you know it's a particular position? Did you know that those who are Calvinists and Armenians argue ferociously, in fact, some to the point of accusing open theists of being heretics for believing in such a thing. How, how dare you say that God has not predetermined all things? Now, you would have only to Google these terms to find out some of the biggest names in evangelicalism who come down, who sit, on all sides of these several positions, all right? There are Calvinists and there are, there are Armenians and there are open theists. There is one more view that's an interesting take on uh, sort of the Armenian view. It sort of sits in between Armenia, Armenianism and open theism. It's called Molinism. This position is where God knows not only the possibilities, but also what you would do. And therefore, he influences a series of events and circumstances based on these possibilities and what one would choose in order to get you to choose his will. Okay, 
I, I, I've taken enough time with those things. I just wanted to expose you to it and let you know a little bit about those positions. And I, I, I think one or more of them will ring true with you, and it's not necessarily the the fact or the case that that if you believe one, you can't believe anything about the other. I, I wouldn't say that that is true, but I, I think that there's probably one of those four that most closely represents your take on the whole of uh, Scripture then and your foundation of who God is for you, right? Now, let me drill down on some of the specifics of the differences between specifically determinism or Calvinism and open theism. First of all, we could talk about the subject of that God is holy. Now, when I say that God is holy, I'm not talking about a moral attribute. I'm talking about that he is perfectly loving, that he is perfectly giving, and that he is perfectly one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I find that to be actually critical to who God is and how God responds and how God loves and how God acts and how he presents himself and what he does in the world. You know, our, our world, our, our culture, our communities are experiencing cataclysmic unholiness. Especially, I, I mean, in my lifetime, I've never experienced a worse time in our communities and in our culture than we are seeing right now with sexual abuse, with violence, with uh, the various movements that are going on and what's happening in our politics and the hatred and the vitriol that's being spoken by individuals for all sorts of reasons and then often resulting in violence. So much evil, um, so much suffering all right. Now, from where do these unholy things emerge? Are they the unstoppable force of God's intention, which is what a Calvinist would believe? Has God designed and purposed them in order to receive glory and to display his holiness? Which again is what those who believe in the Reformed theology of determinism, theological determinism, would believe. Or, as I personally believe and open theists would believe, are they the accidental, random, unpredictable outcome and development of creation and of the creature itself? Is this unholiness from God or is it from outside of God? Open theism is the only theology that can coherently comprehend reality where unholiness emerges from outside of God. Now, here's another position that's often articled, uh, argued when it comes to theological determinism. Another principle, taking comfort that God is involved. Again, there are those who believe that God has determined everything, even evil. Reformed or Armenians, when, when you experience tragedy or destruction or cruel abuse or inhumane treatment, they would say that you can be comforted with the truth 
that God knew that this was going to happen and that it has not caught him by surprise. Open theism, they would say, can't say that. In fact, an open theist, they would criticize, are probably finding, or that God is just now finding out about it as we find out about it. That would be the criticism of open theism by Arminians, those who believe in Arminianism, and Calvinists. I'm going to quote something that Dan Kent said here at this point, and I'll put it on the screen for you. He's a writer, an author, a speaker, a podcaster, and a great friend of Greg Boyd, who I, uh, whose teaching I admire and follow after um, closely. And uh, he's commented on this same subject. I want to bring you something that he said here. By contrast, the more substantial comfort open theism offers is that God did not want this suffering for us and that our intuitions of injustice are correct and God sees our injustice as injustice and could therefore not be responsible for it. This allows God to grieve with us. You see, I, I think that's an essential part of who God is. That's why I presented to you in our opening scripture text, how can we know who God is? Well, God looks like Jesus. God has always looked like Jesus. And when I think about who Jesus is, when I read in Scripture, particularly, particularly the four Gospels, I see who God is because I see how Jesus acted and responded with empathy and mercy and compassion rather than the type of position that a traditional theological determinants would take. Open theism is the only theology that allows for this kind of empathetic God. I want you to consider something, and this was in the news just recently. A five-year-old girl found dead in Alabama in a hotel room on December 14th abducted from her bed while sleeping, sexually abused, and then killed. And the gentleman that did it had a long record of these sorts of things, and he had sexually abused children before. Let me ask you something. Which of these positions of faith would be more comforting? that I'm talking about. God wanted this to happen. You'll thank him later. Or number two, God did not want this to happen. He is heartbroken, but he will make it right. I'm going to quote Dan Kent again. Now this is a bit longer, but I just couldn't say it any better and want to bring it to you. Let's look at it. Why not simply accept that many things in life are literally ungodly, which is how they seem and how God speaks of them in the Bible, and that reality is not the way that God wants it to be, though he will make all things right. 
and that God suffers with us. Of course, the infinitely intelligent God can anticipate every possible evil just as effectively as the tradition, traditional God anticipates certainties. And the infinitely intelligent God who has a plan to capitalize on evil when it happens to get as much good out of it as possible is the God of open theism. All open theism says that a holy God, all open theism says is that a holy God does not need evil as the reformed God seems to, as Calvinists seem to think. So he certainly does not ordain it, though he masterfully uses it. Now, I don't know, I can't speak for everybody, and I'm not speaking for all of the members of my church. I'm, I'm speaking for what I find to be, number one, life-giving, and what I find in the character and life and, and way in which Jesus lived his life and approached people. And so, hence, Hebrews chapter 1. He is the exact representation. He is the imprint. He's the stamped imprint of God. Not just somebody who points to, not just a holy teacher, not just a good prophet. Good teacher, holy prophet. He is the exact representation of God. I meet with uh, several gentlemen in an apostolic round table a couple times a month or every five weeks where we talk about a number of things and this past week we had a meeting a couple of these gentlemen are international one of them watches our broadcast regularly and uh, I wrote down a couple of musings from our apostolic meeting this past week here's one Without the option of the other, you don't have reality. Do you understand what I'm saying? Without the option of the other, the other choice, the other thing, be it good or evil, you actually don't have reality. The moment that God gave Adam and Eve choice, he relinquished his sovereign predetermined will over creation. Think about that. Here is another musing. Listen to this one now. This this is gonna might stretch your thinking and blow your head off. The result of the fall being quote bad as most evangelicals teach comes out of a position known as penal substitution. It's a view of Christ, it's a view of God, and all of really the Bible that teaches shame and debt and anger and ransom, and that what Jesus did was to ransom us and pay a debt because God was so angry, he would have in his anger crushed us and sent us all to hell, but Jesus stepped in and paid the penalty, hence penal substitution. And that's the view that is that that breathes into, that's woven into the evangelical, common evangelical view of the quote fall in Genesis chapters one through three, specifically chapter three that we talked about in greater detail last week. 
did you know that really all the fall was was a uncovering of unconsciousness where there became a choice in other words reality came now personally I don't believe that that was God's best his best would have been for them to continue to eat and only eat from the tree of life and that they did not need the ability to discern between good and evil but rather than the story in Genesis being so condemning and so judgmental and so full of shame and God got full of anger now and he cast him out and he separated himself from all of humanity and then sin took over and look what has happened for this these this millennium of millenniums of time what if it was more a story of becoming aware of reality and keep this in mind now so Paul said where there is no law there is no sin there was no sin yet in the decision that they made there was shame in making the decision that Adam and Eve made but there wasn't sin yet why because there was no law the law came after and without the law there's no sin now there was shame alright there was something that they disobeyed and shouldn't have done and it caused them to be open to a different identity that, that was not theirs and it gave rise to the ego we talked about many of those things last week you'll have to go back to that message it wasn't God's best but rather than it being all of this condemning guilt-ridden punitive judgmental now you're going to have to be ransomed from the anger of God what if what if that that's the question I'm posing today regardless of where by the end of this message you ultimately come down and what you ultimately decide I'm, I'm asking you to consider the what if of scripture the the what if we do have free will what if God does not predetermine everything that happens in life what if to be a loving God he had to give choice what if I still have choice today and that that was the most loving thing that God could have done. What if what Richard Rohr says in this next quote is true? It seems to me that free will is given to us for a purpose so that we may choose freely without coercion or manipulation to love God in return and to love one another in a similarly perfect way. This is the deepest desire of our hearts, in other words, our creation is by love, in love, and for love. It is both our birthright and our, our, our authentic destin, destiny to participate fully in this creative, loving, and freedom of will. Let me reread that. It is both our birthright and our authentic destiny to participate fully in this creative, loving, and freedom of will because it's essential for our participation for it to occur. 
I, I, I don't know. I just, I come down on the side that rather than God's holiness being compromised, that God in his very character and nature loves us so much that he put in his love, he gave us the gift of free will so that he could continue to walk with us and partner with us creating at the at the very beginning of the universe creating possibility so that rather than we being like puppets on a stick where he just predestines everything including evil he decides well I, I want to be loved because they want to love me and I want them to know I do care. I am with them in injustice. I am with them when they're abused. I am with them when they're grieving and there's been great loss. I am there. And, I, and I'm going to take those things and turn them around. As Paul said in Romans chapter 8, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I had this thought. What if God's most loving act towards you was to choose you, but give you the choice to choose him back? What if? This week I uh, came across a new song to me that has captured my emotions. I have played it again and again and again. I've cried, I've meditated, and it's about a beginning love relationship, but I found myself engrossed in its message that it's about me and Jesus. It's the way Jesus chose me. And I, I, I think, just listen to the words now. I, I'm not going to have them on the screen for you, okay? I, I want you to sit down. Whatever you're doing, I'm going to ask you stop. I'm going to ask you to give the screen your full attention. And even more importantly, your ears. Turn up the sound. And I want you to listen. And I want you to consider that this just might be a conversation between Jesus and you. I don't need you to sell me on reasons to want you. I don't need you to search for the proof that I should. You don't have to convince me. You don't have to be scared, you're not enough Cause what we've got going is good I don't need more reminders of all that's been broken I don't need you to fix what I'd rather forget Clear the slate and start over Try to quiet the noises in your head We can't compete with all that So what if it's us? What if it's us and us? 
I've had somebody come into the room to join me here. I'm trying to get things turned a little bit for their sake and see if we can share this time of, of prayer together. And let me... Do you know what somebody said one time when they saw this? They said that looked like my hair. <laughs> There's a thought about that. <laughs> And and I'm not going to call her out. Uh, although yours is getting a little more the silver <laughs> side. <laughs> um, you know, Nina, I just think, I know this was, I know for a lot of people this kind of message is sort of mired in the technical, in theology. Um, they'd rather hear inspiration. But man, I, I just find that this is, that, that when I understand some of this, it helps me locate how I feel and how I think about God. And I, I think what we believe about God and who he is, is everything to our faith. Well, even as we come to prayer right now, and the season that we're living in with so, so, so many difficult things happening, yeah. I I am questioning and questioning and questioning. I, I want more right now um, 
although I've had a firm belief system for so many years, I'm saying, oh my gosh, what, what's going on? <laughs> and what you brought today yeah. plays into that answer. <clears throat> and one way or another, it, play, it plays into that answer. So You've mentioned uh, all the recent uh, deaths that have been taking so place many. in various people's lives. Yes. Severe sickness, close to death, yes. people, people actually dying. Uh, our sister congregation has had, I don't know, four Multiple. or five uh, people just within a, a period of two, months. Two, well, four people since the first of the year. Since the first of the year. It's just uncanny, that sort of thing. And, and the question is why. Now, granted, some of these individuals were getting up in years and so forth, but it seems like such a concentration of it. And, and coupled with the violence that's going on in society right, right. And, and our pandemic and all of the various things then, it, it, it's no wonder that people's faith is turned upside down, number one. And number two, there, there are a number of people, in fact, there are some high-profile Christian ministers and leaders who have deconstructed and left the faith. I mean, flat out, not just change some views, you know, to go from determinism to open theism type of thing, but I mean left Christianity and no longer claim to be Christian. And, and I think the very thing that I'm talking about today affects that. I, I think when we can circle around and be open and honest enough with each other and with the scripture and with who God is to ask these questions, and, and, and not accuse individuals of being heretics and, and, and not put people down and be dismissive and disrespectful, but honor differing views of even the scripture. Uh, I, I think that it helps people come to a more sacred holiness and understanding of who God is that will actually keep them. I believe God's able to keep us in our faith but there's so many things working against it. And one of them, in my view, is being so set on a theology of determinism where God then just actually controls it all and determines the outcome of it. I, I think that's very destructive. I think that's counter to, well, I'm not going to re-preach my message, but I think that people actually are leaving the church over a misunderstanding of just these kind of things that I'm talking about. And that, that's why I find it so important to talk about. Right. Well, we're going to pray here in a minute and we'll, we'll use these, uh, this truth here as we pray. But if you have any prayer requests, you can text me right now at 720-878-3323. at 720-878-3323. And uh, we'll pray here in just a moment. Do you have a question you would like to answer before we pray? And as people might be sending in their prayer requests. By the way, you can also in the chat uh, on the website uh, put in your prayer requests. And then Carol's monitoring that and will send those to us. And thank you, Carol, for that. And, um, and then if you still have more questions, <laughs> there's still some minutes here left. And you can see on the screen, I believe that's on the screen. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the text for questions at seven different number, well, everybody. But anything. any of these numbers, we'll, we'll get, get to you. 
So that's 720-878-8899. And then again, chatting at genesiscc.net. So before we pray, you want to address this question you received? I, I do, and I apologize to the sender. Oh, well, that works for me, but not really for Nina. So <laughs> <laughs> the question is, what is antithetical? It's opposed to, generally speaking, but it's more aggressive than that. It's it's an opposition that's that's very aggressive, uh, that's very upfront, and antagonistic to, so antithetical to. I I find that uh, theological determinism is antithetical to open theism, because I think it's an aggressive view of God that removes His mercy his sensitivity, his kindness, his compassion. I, I, I don't think it speaks of Jesus. And so when I say antithetical, we might say that evil or the devil is antithetical to God. That, that would be another way of using that word. So it's an aggressive opposition. Okay. Any Anybody else have anything? I did just get another prayer request. I'm uh, making note of that here before we pray if there's anyone else that has anything else uh, you see anything there nothing's no. coming in uh, for me okay. or on my texting all right okay um, all right well so you know we're as even as I read these off here's our prayer so just join me right now we're trusting that God is with each one of these people, that he is for them mm. and not against them, yes. that he is, according to Romans 8, working all things together for the good, even in their loss, even in their pain, even in their questions. Mm -hmm. We thank you for doing all of that, Father, for thank the you, victims Father. of the fires in Colorado, yes. the victims of the tsunamis in the Tonga area for the Ross and Rains family at the sudden loss of their father and grandfather this week, for our friend Randy's family who um, passed in a car accident, yes. for Mary and her friends who are at the loss of their friend Cheryl, for Carla and her family at the loss of her husband Rich, Father, for Barb's parents who are adjusting to memory care living at this stage in their lives, and for Barb and family as they are adjusting to having their parents in memory care. Father, for Cheryl, who is recovering from a pelvic bone fracture while her daughter has been in serious condition at Children's Hospital, and Father, for Taylin, as uh, she is on a road to recovery Yes. And 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 there's just uh, and I heard today that there's been yet another step of improvement. We have a long road ahead, but you're with them, you're keeping them, um, you're working on their behalf. Father, for Pastor Phil's dad, Randy, who's on a ventilator in the hospital, Jesus. that you're working in his life. Father, for our Jim, recovering from COVID pneumonia, mm. for our Barb, whose knee. Uh, is repairing for Jeff for that edema being taken care of. 
We thank you for Lisa and Matt and the Rojas family recovering from either COVID and or this stomach bug this week. And for our Mary, who's still recovering from surgery. So, Father, you know in particular each and every one of these needs. And you are at work on their behalf. And you are only good and not evil. And you're working good for them. And we thank you. And we praise you and we trust you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And uh, I'm going to invite you uh, now. I, I, I don't, I, I thought I was going to have this uh, for you on the screen and I, I see that I, I don't. But listen to me as I pray this out and uh, you join your heart with the words. God, Lord of all creation, lover of life and everything, Please help us to love in our very small way what you love infinitely and everywhere. We thank you that we can offer just this one prayer and that will be more than enough because in reality everything and everyone is connected and nothing stands alone. To pray for one part is really to pray for the whole and so we do. Help us each day to stand for love, for healing, for good the diverse unity of the body of Christ in all of creation because we know this is what you desire as Jesus prayed that we might all be one we offer our prayer together with all the holy names of God we offer our prayer together with Christ our Lord amen amen a bit of a liturgical prayer beautiful um, prayer yeah we're finding i, I, I love that prayer it's we're cool. finding Very more and good. more it's called the prayer of community and uh, we're finding more and more life in fellowship with our sister church as we've learned a lot of things that i think in our past ignorantly stupidly <laughs> we would have uh, <laughs> criticized and uh, god forgive us for our ego well, everyone, we, we love you. We thank you for being part of the broadcast today. We're going to close with a song here called Be All Right, and we will see you next week with an expectation that we will again be meeting in public in the sanctuary. God bless. <laughs>